Oh, I love child dedications. They're so good. They're so good. Before uh, we open God's word, I just want to, um, we had a, as a clergy a great, great opportunity to spend some time with uh, uh, some of the school, D.C. school administrators in prayer and devotions this past week. And I can't tell you how encouraging that is to be able to partner. It's a really rare, rare thing to have um, administration from a public school uh, just committed to pray for the kids, uh, committed to follow God. Um, in the role that he's called them to. And that was just terribly, terribly exciting in a wonderful way. Um, this Thursday is National Day of Prayer. And uh, one of the, the great opportunities we have um, is to be able to join together the high school. And it'll be the high school choir room after a little adjustments. Um, and so what I want to encourage you as students and teachers, um, if you're at the high school or middle school, it will be the high school um, choir room, if you're Dassel Elementary or Cocado Elementary, it'll be in your facilities. Um, but I want to encourage you to come together. Um, students, I want to encourage you to come pray for your teachers and your principals. That would be a blessing to them. And teachers, come. Join together with students uh, and pray. That'll be 7.30 Thursday morning to 7.45, not a big window. Um, but we really hope students again and teachers, you'll come. What a great, great opportunity uh, to join together. And so uh, I'm just encouraged by all that's going on um, in that environment in the public school and um, with our teachers and with our students, and um, it's good stuff. So, well, before we open God's Word and look at some more things, let's pray. Father, um, I'm so grateful for your presence in our life. Lord, that's everything. Without you, not only would we fail, without you, God, we know we have no eternal hope. And Lord, as strangers and pilgrims, and it seems even more so the older I get, as I walk this earth, I pray that you would continue to teach us, lead us. And Lord, I pray with the multitude of voices that we hear during the week, some of it our own self-talk, that you would cut through all of that, and this morning somehow you'd help each person here to hear your voice. Lord, to receive what you have for each person here. So Lord, I thank you for what you're going to do, what you are doing in this church body. How exciting to hear. And we just pray you continue your perfect work in our lives. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Uh, this morning, uh, we're going to wrap up a series, and and uh, this message is going to be, for lack of a better word, uh, incredibly practical because the scriptures work. Um, and by that I mean when God says something, he means it, and uh, we can take it to the bank. Um, and so this could be very practical, and I thought as we wrapped up this series, it needed to be so because the scriptures point out some really helpful things to us in the day-to-day -day living right where we all are. Um, and so I'm excited about these things that we're going to get to talk about. Um, but I was reminded as I went through all this that there's some things you can't separate. And you know what I mean right now. Things like peanut butter and jelly. You don't separate them, okay? Um, you just don't do it. Batman and Robin, picnics and hot dogs, they got to be together. 
movie and popcorn. I can't go to a movie without popcorn. I just won't go to the movie then. Uh, I need popcorn. Uh, it can't be separated in my mind. Uh, uh, Crystal and Jolene, just they belong together as friends, and that's just, just the way it is, like Batman and Robin. And so some things can't be separated. Another thing that can't be separated is faith and finances because God doesn't let us separate the two. The Bible says an awful lot about money, quite a bit, actually. And I, it's, God knew when push came to shove, that would be an area that would be difficult for us. Uh, and we need to be honest, it is a challenge for us uh, to allow God to sanctify our finances for his purposes and his use. And so as we go through this morning, this goal is not at all to guilt anybody, but to instruct us as we all here seek to be good stewards of what God has given us. I believe that God's word is the key to finding true financial stability in a very unstable world. There's doomsdayers out there every time you pick up the paper about our economy's tanking and, uh, and, th- and all this. We don't know. Only God knows that. But I do know this. If you want financial stability, it's here. We find the recipe, so to speak, in God's word. And to do that, we need to have clarity on the whole, the whole big picture of it all. We need to adjust our thinking. Number one, you're going to have, as you look at your notes, you're going to like, good night. He's going to be here for three hours. Well, no, we're going to move through this rap, ra- rather rapidly. So to a certain degree, I'm summing up our series, but to a certain degree as well, there's some very, uh, very take-home practical applications. Man's way says all I have is mine. It's all mine. God's way is that we look at our finances and resources and our gifts and talents, that all that we have is God's. There's some great contrasts as I go through here. There's a passage in Deuteronomy 8, verse 17 through 18. Um, The context of the chapter really is that God's gracious dealings with his people. In the midst of that, we have these words. God warns them, I should probably back up the truck a little bit, verses 11 through 16. Um, The warning's given. Beware lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his ordinances and his statutes, which I'm commanding you today. And then as you drop down to 17, otherwise you may say in your heart, my power and the strength of my hand made me this wealth. But you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who is giving you power to make wealth, that he may confirm his covenant, which he swore to your fathers as it is to this day. I mean, the reminder Moses is giving you children of God is don't think for a moment that you're a self-made person. God's blessed you. God's given you the power, the talents, the gifts, the insight, the wisdom to accumulate and to become stable. God does that. And so man's way says, you know what, all I have is mine, and God's way is no, no, you're you're a steward. Remember, foundation of it all, God is the owner. If you miss that, you're going to muddy up everything else as to how you view your talents and resources and money. We also need to adjust our thinking in the sense that man's way is more. God's way is, no, manage. Manage what you have. It's a great contrast, once again, that we live with. Listen to a couple of Proverbs. Proverbs is one of those books that uh, it says a lot about how to handle money. There's a lot of, obviously, incredible wisdom in here, God's wisdom. Proverbs 21, a couple verses out of here, verse 20 and then verse 17. Proverbs 21 again. 
Verse 20 says, There is precious treasure and oil in the dwelling of the wise, but a foolish man swallows it up. Verse 17, He who loves pleasure will become a poor man. He who loves wine and oil will not become rich. What Proverbs is telling us is that when we want more and more and more, we need to realize it won't last. It won't satisfy, and that mindset in the end won't be productive. It won't be stabilizing in that sense. But God says manage. Luke 16, 10 through 13. Let's read that passage. I'm not going to be able to get all, all these verses today, but I wanted to read some of these to really give us a good picture. Luke 16, Jesus speaking. He says, He who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much. And he who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous also in much. If therefore you have not been faithful in the use of unrighteousness, mammon, who will entrust the true riches to you? And if you have not been faithful in the use of that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? Okay, we've been called to be faithful stewards of that which is God, not to live for more, but to manage faithfully what he's entrusted to us. Another contrast we find is man's way is there's a fear of loss, always fearing that they're going to lose. God's way, however, is faith in God to provide. A couple psalms we can glean from here. Psalm 37. I know I'm bouncing around. Psalm 37. We read this in verse 16 to 19. Better is the little of the righteous than the abundance of many wicked. For the arms of the wicked will be broken, but their Lord sustains the righteous. The Lord knows the days of the blameless, and their inheritance will be forever. They will not be ashamed in the time of evil. In the days of famine, they will have abundance. So we see this, idea, this, this sense where God's going to provide for the righteous. We can have faith in that. We can take it to the bank. But man's way is always fearing they're going to lose. Always fearing they won't have enough. Always fearing that what they have or the car or whatever possessions they have, that they're, they're going to lose it. And so they live in a constant fear, scramble around, reading the paper all the time about their investments. Are we going to lose? Are we going to lose? Are we going to lose? But the child of God rests in the fact that we are children of God, which we've sang about. And we can have faith in God. In Genesis 12.10, we read about Abraham. Genesis 26, we read about Isaac. Genesis 41, we read about Joseph. 2 Samuel 21, we read about David. 1 Kings, we read about Elijah. Nehemiah 5, we learn about Nehemiah. In Jeremiah, we read about Jeremiah. In Acts 11, we, we get Agabus' prophecy. In each of those cases, they all tell us that these people experienced famine. All of them. They all faced famine. And why does God tell us that? Because the lesson also shows us that they were faithful to believe God. Even in the midst of the loss and the famine, they believed God. It wasn't always easy for them, but they exercised faith that God would provide for them. They didn't need to fear loss. Another contrast is man's way is one of envy and pursuit of possessions. God's way is contentment and released resources. I came across this quote the most expensive vehicle to operate per mile is the shopping cart. 
kind of clever. There's a lot of truth to that, isn't it? God doesn't call you and I to envy and pursue possessions. He calls us to live a life of contentment and to release those resources to God and let God use them the way he wants. Exodus 20 says, Do not covet your neighbor's house or anything they own. Luke 12, 15, Beware of greed, for life does not consist of possessions. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6, Keep your lives free from the love of money. Be content. 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 7, Godliness with contentment is great gain. There's a great exercise I came across a while ago which is helpful in this. If you want to feel rich, just count all the things you have that money can't buy. If you really want to feel rich, count all the things that you have that money cannot buy. That will change your perspective really quickly. I mean, think about all the things that God's blessed us with that money can't buy. And we would have to conclude we are rich people. We're blessed, a most blessed people. Another contrast, man's way is growing indebtedness. Charge, charge, charge. God's way is actively eliminating or seeking to avoid indebtedness. Proverbs 22.7 gives a warning. By the way, the warning is not just to those who are poor. It's also a warning to the rich. The rich rules over the poor. The borrower becomes a servant to the lender. If you're the, borrower, if you're the one who borrows, don't enslave the one who you're lending to. If you're, the, if you're the one lending, recognize what's happening. You now become, in a sense, indebted to the person borrowing it to you. You need to be careful. Haggai 1, 2 through 11 reveals financial problems often. They're not always due to wrong spiritual priorities. They lived in nice homes in Haggai's day, but God's house was in complete ruin. And their priorities were way out of whack. God says, man, you got some nice, nice homes going up over here. You got a great development, but look at my house, it's falling apart. You got wrong spiritual priorities, and that can lead to financial problems, debt being one of them. The question would come up, is it right to borrow? And I want to be true to all of Scripture here because it actually, the Bible speaks, it was surprisingly, a lot about lending. Quite a bit, actually, more than you would realize. It also speaks a lot about the danger of borrowing. Psalm 37, 25 through 26. Let's just read that one really quick. Psalm 37, 25 through 26, just to kind of give you uh, a flavor of some of the things it says. Psalm 37, verse 25 through 26. I have been young, and now I am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his descendants begging bread. All day long he's gracious and lends, and his descendants are a blessing. Psalm 112, 5, it is well with the man who is gracious and lends. Matthew 5, 42, Jesus encourages grace to the one who needs to borrow. Romans 13, 8, let no debt remain outstanding. It doesn't say it's wrong, it's just unless you don't pay it back. The righteous are generous, and they lend. It's clear. And so, the obvious applications, if it's okay to lend, then borrowing's not wrong. And so there are some who would teach financial um, 
seminars and different things who'd kind of come all the way and say, you know, look at Proverbs 22.7. The rich rules over the poor, borrow becomes servant to the lender, you should never borrow. But that's not true to Scripture. Scripture does talk about lending. And so we need to make sure we have a balanced approach. Borrowing is always involved when there's lending, since lending is sometimes permissible, so is borrowing. But I think you probably noticed in a couple of those verses, the pattern the majority of the time is if it is necessary to borrow, borrow from the righteous. Remember it mentions the righteous lend. If at all possible, borrow from the righteous. It's one of the reasons that we pursue a new facility. We're working with Christian investors. It follows this principle in Scripture. Maybe you've had medical emergencies. Maybe you've just been hit on a left field with stuff you never saw coming, and you're like, oh, my goodness. What are we going to do? Maybe you know a brother or sister in Christ who you could sit down with and say, based on Scripture, we need help. Is there any way you could lend to us? And work out a plan with them of paying them back. That would be a very good scriptural application of some of these verses. Because the reality is we need to understand debt can be a curse. Deuteronomy 28, the Lord will make you the head, not the tail. But if, in, if you are indebted to the unrighteous, they become the head, you'll become the tail. It was never God's desire. He encouraged them to lend, but he says, I don't want you to be borrowing, especially from unrighteous nations. You'll, you'll be indebted to them. There's a desperation of debt we need to be aware of. It brings pressure it brings panic. It's never God's design to be in financial bondage. There's a desperation. We see it, and unfortunately, the amount of suicides by many people who are overwhelmed by debt. There's a danger of debt where when God's money goes to unrighteous people if they're the lender, and it can be a, we can be a slave if not paid back. It's crucial you and I seek to pay back whatever debt we have as soon as we're able to. And so there is a desperation, there is a danger in debt. And debt's always serious, but especially so when the asset's value is less than what you owe. In other words, high depreciation items, car, furniture, they depreciate really, really quickly. Debt's always serious, but especially when the asset's value is less than what you owe. It's especially serious when you are tempted to rob God, your primary creditor, in order to pay man. Then it's especially serious. It's especially serious when monthly payments strap you, leaving little room to be generous to God's promptings. We don't want to be so strapped we can't. It's especially serious when there's an inability to respond to needs due to debt. It desensitizes us to human need and to God's leading when our focus is solely out of getting out of a hole. It's not wrong to borrow, especially from the righteous, but don't if you don't need to. That's the whole point. Especially work to eliminate debt. Another contrast, man's way is giving to God has low or no priority, but God's way is giving to God is your highest priority. You can look at the passages right there. And here's another good exercise. The next time you sit down and look at your finances, maybe you're balancing your checkbook or looking at a statement, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? You know, interesting, if we were honest, I wonder how often am I honoring God with, with what I'm looking at right now? Have we honored God? How could we do a better job of honoring God with what I'm looking at right now? And uh, that's not easy. It's an intentional question you might need to write down. 
I might need to write down, remind us as we look at them. How are we honoring God? So we could make that our highest priority because man's way isn't. A relational application, another contrast, man's way is our arguments and unrest about financial issues. God's way is agreement and unity. We're not surprised one of the number one reasons, number, one of the number one, that doesn't make sense. One of the high reasons for divorce is financial issues because people don't work for agreement and unity. Proverbs 15, 16 through 17 says this, Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and turmoil with it. Better is a dish of vegetables where love is than a fatted ox and hatred with it. <laughs> Proverbs has a way of wording things. Uh, it cuts right through it all, doesn't it? Um, it's God's way that you and I, as couples, and leaders in our home work in agreement as to how to handle finances. Listen to each other's counsel. Don't let pride lead to fights. Work prayerfully in agreement and unity in financial handlings and a financial plan. Another contrast, God's way is get rich, or man's way is get rich quick schemes, gambling, the lottery, some of those things. God's way is to make steady progress and work hard. Seek wise counsel. When it comes to mutual funds, IRAs, investments, seek help from someone who will help you uh, choose um, endeavors which are steady progressively. Hard work, not the quick flash in a pan that ultimately tank. Um, God's way is steady progress and work. Proverbs 22.6 from the message paraphrase, don't gamble on the pot at the end of the rainbow, hocking your house against a lucky chance. Proverbs 13, 11, wealth from the gambling disappears. Wealth from hard work, that grows. And so that's God's way, is that there's steady progression and hard work as you and I handle our finances. If you've ever played Monopoly, usually we're one of two people when it comes to Monopoly. We're looking for boardwalk and park place. We're going to throw all our resources to those two babies, build them up, Someone else lands on them, boom, we take them out. And that's never been my philosophy. I'm like, buy the rest of the board. I mean, buy as much of the other properties, and then little by little, suck them dry. You know, <laughs> I know, flesh comes out in Monopoly, doesn't it? <laughs> but there is a somewhat of a principle behind that. Uh, that is steady progress. And we tend to like the quick answer, the quick fix, like the boardwalk and park place. But Oriental Avenue and St. James Place and, and taking uh, time to progress and to build up, that usually works against certainly our culture, but works against God's way. And so we need to really work hard at a, applying scriptural principles and adjust our thinking. We also need to adjust very practically. How do you and I make practical adjustments to work toward healthy, God-honoring lifestyle in the area of finances? Use this as a checklist. When we get to a checklist, I'm going to ask you to do a couple things. These aren't rocket science, by the way. Um, I believe they're scriptural, and I believe they're incredibly, incredibly practical. One is do not covet. This is an intentional choice. When you look at something someone else has, a boat, a house, I want to challenge you to bow, thank God that, they've ble that he's blessed them. Don't covet. Just bless God. He's poured his blessing out on your brother or sister. And so don't, don't fight that. Don't covet. 
It's very biblical not to do that. And it, it's no good. It's, but it starts with a choice that you choose to reject those thoughts. You take captive every thought to the obedience of Christ. Number two, live simply within your means. Don't get sucked into the bigger, better mindset around you. Live simply within your means. Number three, actively eliminate debt. I use the word actively on purpose. It's intentional action. It takes, first of all, repent if debt's a result of sinful desires. I mean, if you've become tanked in debt because it's just you've always wanted the bigger and better and you've always it just wanted more and more and more, that, that becomes, that's a spiritual thing we need to come to terms with and repent of. How else do we actively eliminate debt? Immediately give God the first fruits by giving to him. Honor him first, not with there's leftovers. God deserves our best. Number, a second or another reason to incur, to actively eliminate debt, eliminate debt, incur no new debt. Don't keep sinking yourself. Another way to actively eliminate debt, systematically draw up a reduction plan. An example would be you have a smaller debts and maybe larger debts, pay the minimum on the larger, overpay the smaller, and when the smaller's paid off, take what you paid on the smaller, marry it to what you paid on the uh, larger one, and keep the larger payments now to pay off the larger one. But it takes intentionality, it takes discipline, and it takes a reduction plan. Systematically draw up a reduction plan. Because you and I need to work on actively eliminating debt. Another way to do that, reduce, if not get rid of credit cards. And to protect yourself, lower the limits on them. Call a credit card company and say, I don't want a gazillion dollar limit, I want a thousand. That's it. Or whatever it would be. And so actively seek to eliminate debt. And to be honest, we all, and this, this is for all of us, stop rationalizing your debt habit. It's not okay to continually sink ourselves. And if debt seems the only option, go slowly, prayerfully, and first seek out the righteous. Follow this advice. It's helpful. Use it up, wear it out, make it do or do without. Good wisdom there. Learn to discern between needs and wants. It's helpful at times to look at your grocery bill or marketplace Walmart bill and, and kind of look at it and compare. Am I getting a bad habit of being wasteful? This isn't to guilt to say, boy, there's, uh-oh, I bought one thing I wanted. I'm not saying that. But, uh, but try to look and see if there's a habit being developed that you can nip in the bud and thus help yourself. This one could be the hardest one but probably the most significant. Give away anything that owns you. Anything that consumes your thoughts, your time, your energy. Another way to look at it is give away anything that rivals your devotion to God. You know it's very easy to kind of begin to slip in what the Bible would call idolatry, is raising anything above God. I remember conversations um, with a couple guys over the years who... Um, when it came to summertime, they would, you wouldn't see them on Sunday morning. They would go golfing. And, uh, and I would ask them, hey, you, how come you weren't, you know, and I, I, intent, I knew where they were at, and I wasn't going to let them off the hook. I'd intentionally ask them, hey, we missed you Sunday. Where were you? And they didn't want to answer after a while. You know where we were. So you're golfing. They said, we can worship God on a golf course. I said, true, but you can also worship golf on God's course. 
what are you doing? So we got to be careful. We can rationalize. We got to be very careful. Give away anything that owns you. And do not succumb to commercial advertising. Shop wisely based on good counsel. Proverbs eleven fourteen: the abundance of counsel, there is victory. Uh, Cindy, my wife, amazes me sometimes. She'll come back with this, you know, like to Kohl's or something. She'll come back with this really nice top and pants. She goes, guess what I paid? I'm like, ooh, okay. A couple times she's come back. I don't know how she does it. Coupons, for, I don't know how she does it. Where she's got a really nice top for her or Emily or something, and it's like a buck. I said, how'd you pay a buck for that? Well, here's how, you know, and she goes through her little process, and it's quite, a, quite impressive, actually. Um, but she somehow is able to do that, and uh, I thank God for that. Um, and there's also many in our congregation, not many, I should say some, who are financial uh, gurus, we'll call them, experts. And uh, we have one of them um, teaching on Wednesday night, uh, Mark uh, Linder, and I appreciate him. And there's others. And uh, you might need to seek them out for some help. That would be a good thing um, because sometimes we need help. And uh, there's people who know how the ins and outs and some real practical ways to go about it and can help you and also hold you accountable. Analyze the cost of small expenditures. Oh, this is one I got to do. Cindy said it to me a couple months ago. Man, look at these charges on here. And they're like two bucks here, three bucks here. And, you know, it's like, okay, I guess the coffee can hold off a couple times. Or I need that muffin twice a week, that type of, you know, it adds up. And, um, again, not to guilt, but we need to evaluate. Um, be sure to shop around, especially major purchases. I think this is where I think auctions are helpful. Our brother Derek, um, you know, if you need appliance or something, Man, check out these auctions. Uh, sometimes you can go and get them really, really good ones for really inexpensive or Craigslist or go on the um, Facebook, Dassel Cocado site has some good stuff. And so shop around. Another one, actively deaccumulate by going through spaces, garage, give, thrift sale, earn some money, pay off some debt, and just be wise in going through some of those things. And be willing to purchase pre-owned. This is where the commercial advertising comes in. You, they say you need new. No, you don't. We don't. Often we can save substantial money by getting what someone else paid full price for. I kind of like that. They paid full price. We're going to take advantage of that. Be willing to purchase pre-owned. Now, I know those are really practical, and maybe we know that. Maybe we just need to be reminded of them. I don't know where you're at. But my encouragement is to look at that list and, and, and maybe circle one of them or two of them. Try, try to start with one or two. And so I'm really, these two really are, are, are things I can work on, and, and I'm going to. And we're, you know, I'm going to sit down with my spouse or look at the finances. We're going to work on these one or two and make that kind of your first steps in this process of application. If you and I are serious about living a God-honoring life as stewards, we need to be intentional. So consider your current financial situation and circle one or two of those that you can concentrate on and it, so we, you, we and all can adjust our lifestyle to be more God-honoring as stewards with the resources he's given and trusted to us. And the second thing, if you're in deep financial trouble today, please see me, and I want to put you in contact with someone uh, who can help you and begin this process of actively eliminating. We need counsel. We need help. It's okay to reach out. Don't, don't drown alone. There's people who can help you and come alongside you and give you not only help but hope.
And so if, don't sink alone. If, you, if you're in tr- financial trouble today, there's people who can help you come see me. I'd love to uh, work with you on that. Let's all continue as you and I uh, seek to live a lifestyle as stewards, to, to live and to pursue living a way which honors our king and builds up his kingdom as his stewards. Let's pray. Father, um, I once again amazed this week, and even this morning, of the practicality of your word. Lord, how you can speak into our situations is amazing to me. The wisdom and counsel in Scripture, we know it works. We know it will bear fruit if we follow it. Every one of us in this room, God, faces this issue of whether we'll be good stewards with what you've entrusted us. And so, Lord, I pray for everyone in this room, no matter where they're at. Lord, for those who are in financial trouble, sinking very quickly, I pray, God, that you would help them to have the humility and the wisdom to take a step to find help, the discipline to take steps to work out of it, because we know, God, that would, that would be honoring to you. Lord, for those of us who not, might not be buried, but, Lord, face practical decisions in the day-to-day, would you continue to bring, us, bring to our mind words of your Spirit, promptings of your Spirit? Would you give us, Lord, the fortitude, the perseverance, and the discipline to make decisions based upon what would please you, our King, not building up our little kingdoms? Lord, we all need your help in this. So we ask for it. And Lord, so, so personally and corporately, you would find your servants faithful. Faithful in pleasing you, our great God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.